Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. If you have your Bible handy, please find your way to the Gospel of John. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in the 15th chapter of John. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8 of chapter 15. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. When Les Paul died, he was arguably the greatest guitarist in the world. The company which he represented, Gibson, manufacturer of guitars, put out a new listing of the top 50 guitarists in the world. Number four on the list was Eric Clapton. Prior to that, there had been an issue in Rolling Stone which said that Clapton was number two in the world. And sometime after Gibson's release, Time Magazine placed him at number five. Four, two, five. That's quite a compliment to anyone in any field. And it certainly fit Clapton. His guitar playing days began very inauspiciously. He was born out of wedlock. He was raised by his grandparents. He was dumbfounded as well as any teenager would have been when he discovered that the person whom he had been told was his sister was actually his mother as she was leaving the household of his grandparents, whom he called Mama and Papa. And he was shocked by that. At the age of 13, he was given a guitar. He showed some interest, but he didn't have any discipline or strong drive to develop his skill. Two years later, however, he became intensely interested. He was interested in the genre of blues, especially in his playing. He soon began to be associated with rock music or blues-influenced rock music, at least. And by the time he was 18, he was asked to join a group that I remember well, and some of you are old enough to remember, too, if you're interested in music in that day. And the group was the Yardbirds. I think they're still performing somewhere in the universe. I'm not sure exactly where. At the age of 24, he formed his own band, Blind Faith. There had been several different groups he was associated with. And at that time, he had a, a group of people, a couple actually, named Bramlett, Delaney, the male, and Bonnie, the female, and they would open for blind faith. And it so happened that they were born-again Christians. 
Their lifestyles didn't always match up with that confession of faith, but they were unashamed of the gospel. And one night after a performance, Delaney knocked on the door of Eric Clapton, where he would go after performing, and Clapton opened the door, and Delaney shared the gospel. And this is the way Clapton described it. He said, I had a Southern Baptist preacher in my dressing room preaching the gospel, and he didn't hold anything back. It was that night that this 24-year-old Eric Clapton, one of the greatest guitarists in his age or any age, a man who had been actually taken to church regularly by his grandparents. And he had an ongoing curiosity about the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ. It was not as though he was raised in a religious vacuum and he was always wondering about that. He was restless as was reflected in the fact that he was involved in so many different groups he couldn't stay put. And then this is what he said. He actually wrote it in his song that he first composed the music for and actually wrote the lyrics for. This is what he said in that song. Listen to the words. I have finally found a place to live just like I never could before. I have found finally a place to live in the presence of the Lord. We've been talking in the last couple of weeks about what it means to abide in Christ. And what we've discovered is the word abide literally means to make a home with. We saw how in John chapter 1, the gospel writer writes this about an encounter which Jesus had with two of the disciples of John the Baptist. And they had been listening to what John the Baptist had been saying about the coming Messiah. And then they had heard John the Baptist say, when Jesus passed by them one day, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the result was that they were looking for another opportunity. And as Jesus would have it, they got another opportunity in the days that followed closely to that first introduction to Jesus. And so they started following Jesus. And Jesus noticed that they were following and he said, can I help you? And they said, yes, where are you staying? He said, come and see. And the Bible tells us they went with him and they stayed with him. The word when they said, we wanna know where you're staying, and the word which describes that they did stay is the same word that's used by Jesus here in John 15. It was where Jesus lived. And they wanted to be with where Jesus was. That would strongly suggest to us that the idea of abiding in Christ is wanting to be with Christ, to live with Christ. Perhaps you know that Mark's gospel tells when Jesus selected his first apostles out of a large group of disciples, that he selected them primarily for the purpose of being with him, that they might be with him. In John's gospel, the third chapter, Jesus and his men were taking a respite from some heavy 
preaching and ministering and they went away to a place where they would not be recognized and they were just getting some R&R. And the Bible says, John, the gospel writer, who was a part of that group, said, Jesus was with us and he was spending time with us. Jesus loves being with his people and he wants us to be at home with him and make a home for him in our heart. To abide in Jesus Christ at least, and I'm saying actually primarily means to make a home in Him. He is our place of residence. And certainly in the case of Clapton, he was introduced to Jesus. It was revolutionary. He was unashamed of sharing his testimony. He told everyone who would listen, I have been born again. But his lifestyle didn't match up to one who has been born again. He quit drugs as a result of having come to meet Christ, but he took up alcohol, which he had not been a regular user of, and so he exchanged one addiction for another one. Do you know, I want to pause here, this is really important. I in no way would want to excuse you, and I certainly cannot excuse myself, of any lingering sin in our lives. It's not in keeping with God's will. But when I have studied people who really have made a difference in the kingdom of God, people like D.L. Moody, that name may mean something to you, the great evangelist of the 19th century, the greatest of that century that we know of. Amy Carmichael, who a beautiful single lady went to India and she rescued no telling how many hundreds of young girls from prostitution and brought them to live in her orphanage that she founded and how their lives were changed. Those are two of a long list which I read long ago in a little book called Little by Little by David Siemens. It was amazing. The average length of time, he said, as he studied the lives of probably 20 dignitaries, really, stars in the galaxy of people who've been used by God in modern times, so to speak. He said it was an average of 15 years per person before they learned the imperative nature of abiding in Christ. They struggled. But once they learned what we're looking at today, their lives were changed and the fruit that came out of their lives, they had been used to bear fruit, but it was nothing compared to what happened later. Eighteen years passed in Eric Clapton's life between his giving his life to Christ, as it were, being born again, and he struggled mightily with his flesh, his own desire. But God got hold of him in a new way in the years that followed, in 1987. And he, at that point, became clean and free of all the things that he had leaned on for a sense of security, and he began solely leaning on the Lord Jesus Christ. I share that with you because it's likely that you, some of you, 
have had that experience. Probably not with drugs or alcohol, but an experience of having a glowing encounter with Jesus Christ. It was awesome, wasn't it? Do you remember when you gave your life to Jesus? Awesome. But then it cooled over time. The reason is that we didn't make Jesus our home. It happened to me too. If I calculate correctly, it was about 13 years for me between the time I gave my life to Jesus and I know I was saved. I have no doubt about it. But I struggled. And I'm not saying I haven't struggled since. But what I did learn is that the key for me when I would go away from what I knew was God's will. And sometimes I would get caught in a trespass, caught off guard. But what I discovered was I, I could come right back to the Lord. That's what He wanted me to do. Realizing I had strayed away from Him and had not continued to make Him my home. And so I make a beeline back. I had that experience since we met last week. I found myself not doing what the Lord wanted me to do in a situation. And I knew why I was feeling so crummy afterwards because I had ignored Jesus. But the good news was after feeling the pressure of the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin, that He gladly welcomed me back. He loves us. And He's shown His love to us as we've already seen in His crucifixion and resurrection. But the Holy Spirit puts the finger on us and He brings us back. So today, what we're going to consider in these two verses is further consideration about the matter of abiding in Christ. We will have seen, before we finish this section of John, six different commandments to abide in Christ to make Him our home. Jesus said to this group of two disciples of John the Baptist, He said, when they asked, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where's your home? He said, come and see. Also, a little later, he said to these same men, follow me. Come and observe me and see if I'm worth spending time with. And then he says, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men, is what he says. But he says, follow me without attaching any other words to that on more than one occasion. Then he says, as we are seeing, abide with me. Hang out with me, is what he's saying. We are to abide in Christ. This is the primary condition for being whom God made us to be. Also, a second condition is we must let the words of Jesus abide in us. And what that simply means, look again at verse 7. If you abide in me, and remember what this is, I'm going to run this in the ground today. I hope it lasts in your memory. If you make your home in me or with me, and my words find their home in you. The Lord Jesus wants His words to find their home in us. Find a home for the Word of the Lord. There are two words that are used in the New Testament primarily for our English term, Word. 
The most common is the word logos. This has made its way into our language about different kinds of programming and computers and other things. Logos, that's word. It's the word that's most frequently used in the Gospels for word as well. There's a secondary word. It's the word rhema. That means nothing to us, pretty much. But the best way I know to describe what that word means, and it's very important that I understand it, and you do too, if we're going to do what Jesus says, abide in him and my words abide in you because the term words is from that word rhema. And a rhema word from God is a personal word from the logos, the overall word of God. From Genesis 1-1 until the last verse of Revelation 22, every bit of what we find in our Bible is the word of God. And we are to be people who read it. In fact, in Colossians 3.16, the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. That is what we are to do. And we are to make a home for the word of Christ in us. And when we do that, what happens? Our minds begin to be washed by the word of God. In the book of Ephesians, talking about the relationship between a Christian husband and a Christian wife, the role of the husband is to wash his water, his wife with the water of the Word. And interestingly, it's the Word that's used here. We're to, as husbands, minister to our wives the Word of God. And you say, well, I'm not trained in the Word of God. Well, get trained. Read it. We're not talking about going to seminary or Bible college. Read the Word Ask God to teach you what's there and spend time with your wife in that. I guarantee you, every Christian wife here, every woman who knows Jesus and some who are considering coming to know Jesus would love to have a husband who would wash her in the water of the Word because it has the capacity to cleanse us and to help us to grow, doesn't it? Whether you're a female or a male. It's certainly true. So when we look at this verse of Scripture, this is key. Let's look at it one more time. Verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. That seems a little dangerous, doesn't it? Of Jesus to say, carte blanche. Whatever you ask, you're going to get, if there's some conditions, aren't there? I must be abiding in Him. I have to know Him to abide in Him. And then beyond that, I have to make Him my primary residence. I'm in Him. And my residence, my address, travels with me wherever I go when I'm in Him, abiding in Him. Do you understand? And so His Word influences me because I meditate on His Word. I think about His Word. To abide carries with the idea of knowing the presence of Christ all the time, having that as a strong emphasis in our lives. Also, it carries with it the idea of consulting with Jesus, praying without ceasing, asking Him, do you do that? Do you have the habit when you go through your day that 
you are conversing with the Lord throughout the day, you never have to open this mouth to do it. You just have to, in your heart, converse with Him. And He's glad to have a conversation with us, isn't He? Anytime, under any circumstance, He wants us to have that ongoing conversation. That's about a relationship, isn't it? Prayer is relating to the Lord. We saw last week about the idea of abiding and it had to do with prayer as a result of hearing the teaching or preaching of Christ or about Christ. That happened to the two disciples of John the Baptist. It happened to a large portion of the male citizenry of a little village or town in Samaria when they saw a woman whom they looked down on who had met Christ and Christ changed her. And they went out to see this man and they begged him after listening to come and stay a while. He stayed two days there. So we hear about Jesus and frankly praying, and I don't mean to in any way show lack of respect for what prayer is, but it's talking to Jesus Christ. It's conversing with him. He is your best friend. He is your confidant. He also is your leader. He's your commandant. He's the one who leads us in the way we should go. He's the one who protects us. But going back to this verse one more time, look at it one more time. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. So what are these words? A personal word or words from the Word of God, the Bible. This is why I have made a practice, and sometimes there are parts of the Bible, I think, am I going to have to read that again? You ever think that? I've read it lots of times, and I'm having a hard time getting anything out of it. Well, that's not my problem. It's the Lord's problem to reveal to me what He wants. And what I've discovered, some of the most unlikely places in the Bible become watershed moments for me in my walk with the Lord when He speaks to me. So we're to have this ongoing conversation in the presence of the Lord. And what happens? Here's the beauty. We develop a contentment that is unparalleled, better than anything you can imagine, better than the University of Tennessee beating Florida yesterday. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. The presence of the Lord and the companionship of the Lord and the contentment there's no contentment like being in the presence of Jesus, is there? None. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, the 16th Psalm, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We have to listen to what he says. If I obey the Lord, this is what he wants me to hear, in this passage of Scripture, and you too, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, one classification of the words that are to abide in me is those which give me direction and correction in my life. When I am told I need to change something in my life in order to be in sync with Jesus. And Jesus never tells you or me 
to change something in our lives to make life worse. To the contrary, He gives us an upgrade when we begin to obey His commands. Do we not? When we deny ourselves and when we step across the threshold of a new level of obedience in a certain area and we get on the other side, we wonder, why did I fight that so long? Because I have been freed by my obeying the Lord. We have to be obedient, but here's a beautiful thing. We claim the promises of God. Thousands of promises in the Bible. We're reading one right now. Isn't verse 7 a promise? It has a condition, actually two. What are the conditions of this promise? I must make Christ my home, abide in Him, and what else? I must have His words abide in me, namely His, His commandments. That's a word from the Word. When I read the Bible, sometimes I get a command from the Word of God. All of it's relevant to me. And I get called out and I respond properly and I'm abiding in His Word in that way. But then the promises of God are incredible. What God does for us is phenomenal. I want to invite you to keep your place here for a moment and go back to the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter. And we're going to look at the last part of a conversation that the angel Gabriel had with Mary the mother of Jesus. You remember this sweet woman, young woman, probably in her mid-teens. And Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, announced to her that she was going to become the mother of the Messiah. And she says, how can this be? I've never known a man. He said, never mind. I know that. And the father knows that with a capital F, I might add, and you're going to become a woman with child through the influence of the Holy Spirit who will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, verse 35 says, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Verse 36 of Luke 1 says, Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, Speaking of John the Baptist, she and Zechariah, not a, a virgin, but still a miraculous conception. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible for God. The word translated nothing. I don't know exactly why it's translated this way by the New American Standard, but here's exactly the wording in the original language. For not any word will be impossible with God. What do you think that's all about? Well, this is the word which is the word rhema, a personal word customized for an individual, and it certainly was customized for one person and one person only. For always, it was for Mary, right? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to her through Gabriel, and what we see is that she said in response. Look what she said in verse 38. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. 
be it done to me according to your word. And here's the repeat of the word rhema, which is translated nothing in verse 37, according to your word, and the angel departed from her. Aren't you glad she submitted to the Lord, cooperated with him, and gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ? As an aside, have you ever considered that Mary is the prototype of a Christian? And you're, you're saying, what do you mean? Well, she's the per first person Jesus ever lived in. And she gave up a lot. She gave up her reputation because people would see her showing and know that she was single. She gave up her future. She could have been stoned for that. At worst and at best, Joseph would put her away privately, and he tried to do that, and Gabriel showed up again, rescued her from that. But she gave up her convenience, just like every mother in this room, when you have had children, if you've only had one, you gave up a lot, didn't you? It's amazing what happens to a woman's body. I can only speak of it from a distance. We men don't have any clue. Read about it, about what happens to a dear woman when she conceives a child and how she, in the case of Mary, went through all of those things, but it was all related to what? She heard God speak a word from the word. You might say, well, that was subjective for her. I beg your pardon. If we went to the Magnificat, which begins in verse 46, it's her hymn of praise. What you will discover, I encourage you, I challenge you to see how many references in this rather brief, beautiful blessing of God for her being picked to conceive Christ in her being and bring him to birth. There are over 12 references, and there may be more, to what we call the Old Testament. She was a woman of the Word of God. And it was in a day that women usually were not even taught to read. She had a mother who had learned to read, and father probably may have participated in that too. But we see her in that situation. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And what I'm getting around to say now is really important. We read the Bible for instruction. That's what the Bible says we're to do. We read the Bible for encouragement. Anybody here who needs encouragement today? There's not a day that passes that I don't run across somebody and sometimes I'm the one who needs encouragement. We need it. Where do we get encouragement? We get it from the Word of God. And then when we come to the Word of God, we come for intimacy with God. We come to hear what He has to say to us. We ask Him, speak to me, Lord. Search me, God. Tell me what you want me to know. I need to hear from you so that I can adjust my life to you, adjust my thinking to your thinking. Lord, please do that. 
He never fails to answer such a prayer. Never. And so when we come, He gives us commands, but He gives us promises. But look, going back to verse 7 of chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. The whatever is important because some people could say, well, I'm just going to ask for all kinds of stuff. But if you and I are making Christ our home, what happens is we begin to think like Him. In fact, He begins to take over our thinking and consequently our speaking and our behaving. The words of Jesus meditated on by us, consider by us, become the source of true prayers. We pray according to His will. The Bible says, and this is the most important verse or verse is in, I believe, and that's just my opinion, so don't take it to the bank. But this is in 1 John chapter 5, it says, This is the confidence we have before God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we know we have what we've asked from Him. You want to be heard? Get in the will of God. How more obvious is it for us to know if we obey Him, that's His will, isn't it? What did Jesus say about the will of the Father? Hebrews 10, 7. I have come to do your will, O Lord. He said that to the Father. That was Jesus. If He's the focal point of my life or your life, then what is going to be characteristic of our lives? We're going to be like Him. We're not perfect, but we're going to want to know what He wants from us and we're going to do it because we have come to learn that apart from Him, we can do nothing that has any significance at all. We can trust in the Lord with all our heart in any way in our lives, we're to do it. And we get direction and blessing as a result of that. And He answers our prayers. He does. It's beautiful to see that He answers our prayers. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, He will give us the desires of our heart. And that doesn't mean He's going to give us what we want. What it means is, if I trust in the Lord and do good, if I dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness, then I will delight in the Lord. I want His will for my life because I know it is the thing that will satisfy and protect me so that I can be used by the Lord. This is overwhelming for me to even think about today, any day. I'm so grateful that I have the responsibility of teaching this passage of Scripture. I've studied it many times, but this is a great refresher course. And new insights have come to me as I've sought to renew my commitment to be an abiding Christian, not just a sometime Christian. And here's the good news. Look at verse 8. By this is my Father glorified. We were created to glorify God. The Bible says so in the book of Isaiah. We were created. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
the verification of my being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that there's some fruit coming out of my life. We cannot determine how much fruit, but there is fruit that's going to come out of your life if you're abiding in Christ. People will find Jesus rubbing off on them when they rub shoulders with you and interact with you because Christ in us is the one who lives His life through us. And not only is our true discipleship verified by our bearing fruit, it's also that which glorifies the Lord. This is for all of us. I know I've said that three times at least already, but I want you to get it in case you're drifting a little bit. Much fruit raises a big question. There are a lot of answers to the question that are part of a bigger picture. But the main idea I'm convinced of is people who come to know Christ through you or me. And this is not necessarily what we commonly call evangelism. It would include sharing the gospel. But what people in El Paso, Texas need worse than anything else, and anywhere in the world we go, it would be true. But people in this city are hungry for something they do not have. They're like Eric Clapton before he gave his life to Christ. Remember what he said? I have finally found a place to live just like I never could before. I have finally found a place to live in the presence of the Lord. He had done all kinds of things to get a sense of stability. But it was only when he learned it's to be found in the Lord. And what our responsibility is, just to trust in the Lord with all our heart and trust Him to be Himself through us. What happens is we'll have people, believe it or not, people will start saying, why are you the way you are? They may not say it with that exact question, but they'll ask similar questions. And you just tell them, well, it's not about me. I don't think I'm special, but I know someone who is. And he has changed my life. Give me a reason to live beyond myself. His name is Jesus Christ. And he wants a relationship with you if you don't have one and wants to change you. Look at verse 16 of John 15, which has led me to this conclusion that people are the real finished product of the fruit. You did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You don't have to go somewhere to bear fruit if it's just your nature, your character. The idea is as you go, the Great Commission says, as you go, make disciples. That your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Ah, there we go again. How do we assure that we get answers from God? We abide in Christ, and as we do, we bear fruit. As the branch stays connected to the vine, the life of the vine, Jesus, the true vine, comes through Him to us, and people get to know us. Now I want you to look at the Word one more time in verse 16. 
I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That word remain is the identical word that Jesus has used in the first 16 verses of John 15. What the Lord will do to spread the gospel, it won't be through some dynamic evangelist, thank God for dynamic evangelists, personal and otherwise, but through people, rank and file as we would call them, but there's really no rank and file Christian. We're all crowned with loving kindness and compassion is what the Bible said. And last time I checked, I mean, with Queen Elizabeth, she had like, I don't remember how many crowns that woman had. And now there's a big tussle over who gets which one, whether it's Megan or whatever William's wife is. And I can't remember her name right now, but hers starts with an M too. Meg or something, you know who she is. They're, they're going to have a fuss over that. But look, we know Christ, royals wear crowns, don't they? We are children of God. We have a crown. We're crowned not with jeweled crowns, but we're crowned with loving kindness and compassion, our character. Go to the book of Luke as we finish now. Luke chapter 5. And I'm just going to comment as I read, beginning with verse 1. Now it came about while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word. By the way, this is the word logos. Jesus is preaching to a crowd and he's preaching the logos. Now where does the rhema, the personal word, come from? It comes from the word. The big W comes from that body of literature that we call our Bible. Jesus is preaching the Word. People were listening to the Word. He was standing by the lake Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. That's a command, isn't it? Jesus commanded him. Now look what follows. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. He objected to the command of Jesus. He thought he knew better than Jesus. He didn't know that Jesus made the fish that they were going to catch or had caught. He didn't know that Jesus was who he is, the creator of all things. But look what the text says, the second part of verse 5. It says, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. Do you know what I think the ESV translates? It's word. And guess which word between logos and rhema this word is. It's a rhema word. It's a word from the word that's personalized for you. And when Christ commands you to do something, it's a rhema word, and it's based and rooted in the Word of God, the Lagos. Look at verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled 
to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The work of God through Christ, the awareness and the subsequent acknowledgement on the part of Simon Peter that that Jesus was a Lord, he, the Lord. Oh, Lord, he calls it. Verse 9, For amazement had seized Peter and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. This is a promise, isn't it? Do not fear. That's a command, second command. But then he says, from now on, you'll be catching men. You ain't seen nothing yet, Peter. And what God did with Peter at Pentecost and afterwards, phenomenal. And when you study the life of Simon Peter, it's very encouraging because he was a guy that was all over the map sometimes. He was not as straight an arrow as Paul was after his conversion. But what we see is God used him. And look at verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, look what they did. They left everything and followed him. I'm going to finish on a real personal note. Have you come to the place in your life where you are abiding in Christ? Remembering what that means. You're depending on Him for everything. You're living in Him. You're walking in Him and with Him daily. Have you surrendered your life to Him? This is what abiding in Him means too. They left everything and followed Jesus. And... Peter actually in the 10th chapter of Mark complains about that to Jesus. When Jesus said, a rich man probably is not going to get into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy man to get in heaven. Jesus says, we love, Peter said to Jesus, we've left everything. I remember when I came to understand this matter of abiding in Christ, that I surrendered my future and I surrendered the control of my life to Jesus in a way that I had never done before. He lived in my life and I was known as a Christian and one who at times demonstrated some boldness in being a Christian. But inside I knew there was more to being a follower. I hope there was more at least of Christ. And I did say, Lord, I'm giving you total ownership of Mike Woods going forward. That was a beginning. As I mentioned earlier, it hasn't been a perfect ride by any means in terms of my obeying the Lord as I ought at times. But what I know is He's always brought me back, recentered me in Himself. Would you bow your head? Would you dare today to pray to the Lord? Lord Jesus, 
I need to surrender my life fully to you. I'm a little scared about it. But Lord, I know I can trust you. So Lord, I want to start anew today. I want to give you full control of my life. And I want to trust you to tell me what I'm to do, to show me who I am in you, and to be able to claim your promises, believe what you say to me, and be a person who represents you well in my sphere of living and influence. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.